You're listening to the Victory Church Podcast. Here at Victory, we are called to equip a caring, committed community of worshipers to reach their world for Jesus. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For watching online or with us, and we are celebrating Pentecost today, and we are really expecting the Holy Spirit to touch you, and it doesn't matter where you are, whether you're right here with us or whether you're watching in your living room or wherever you might be, we are going to expect the power of the Spirit to come on this day of celebrating Pentecost. Now, I want to ask a question. What is more important, the wedding ceremony or the marriage? The wedding ceremony or the marriage? Now, of course, The wedding itself, the wedding ceremony, is very important. Just ask any bride. The wedding is so very important. It, you know, generally would take place in a beautiful setting with a beautiful ceremony. And those things say that what is being consecrated in that wedding ceremony is sacred. That's important. And even less extravagant weddings, the vows that are being made are life shaping vows. And so the wedding is important, but more important than the wedding itself is the marriage that is consecrated in the wedding ceremony. The marriage, the life of the couple beyond the ceremony. That's what is most important. And there is a connection between that statement and Pentecost. Because What happens on the day of Pentecost is important. The day that the church is born. The day that the Spirit is poured out. And we don't want to take away from the experience of the early church in that regard. It was a momentous occasion. And our personal Pentecost, the day that we get filled with the Holy Spirit... That's very important. That is a foundational experience for us as followers of Jesus Christ. What takes place is sacred. What takes place launches a whole new way of life. And so that day, that moment, the day of Pentecost, either for the early church or for you personally, is absolutely significant. But what is more significant than that is the ongoing life in the Spirit after that first experience. The ongoing walk with Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what it's all about. That is a higher level of evidence of the Holy Spirit than any particular manifestation or any particular event that begins that life in the Spirit. But how it began is an incredible story. And we have the story in Acts chapters 1 and 2, but I want to focus on Acts 2, the actual moment of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. Acts 2, beginning with verse 1, it tells us, this is Luke writing in the book of Acts, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. 
all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Don't you know that was a powerful experience? They could see, they could hear, they could feel, they could manifest through the speaking of a language that they had never learned something significant. The power of the Spirit was being poured out. And the next verses tell us that they were in a public place where many of the Jews who had gathered for the biblical Hebrew festival of Pentecost could hear what was going on. And uh, they heard people speaking their native languages. Jews had been scattered all over the then known world. And they spoke different languages, but they were back in Jerusalem for the celebration of Pentecost. And they could hear their hometown language being spoken, and they were amazed by that. Then Peter gets up and preaches a message, and he affirms that what is happening is the promise that God had made through the prophets that he would pour out his Spirit on all people, sons and daughters, young and old. It didn't matter. Now the Holy Spirit was being poured out on everybody. And then he goes from that to proclaiming the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the Son of God who had who had demonstrated the power of God and his life here on earth. And when the people realized that they had just in the previous days put to death the author of life, they were like, how can we be saved? And Peter led them to repentance and baptism. And the Bible says that around 3,000 people came to the Lord in that very day. The day of Pentecost was awesome. I wish I could have been there. And I know many of you wish you could have been there as well. But some of us are probably saying, well, what is Pentecost? Pentecost was and is a Hebrew festival. It's a biblical festival. It's part of the law of Moses. And it literally means, refers to 50 days. 50 days of what? 50 days after the festival of first fruits. And then you had a, another festival the festival of weeks it's sometimes called, 50 days, 49 days being seven weeks. So it was often called the Feast of Weeks, and it was a celebration of harvest. You can see on the screen, perhaps, that we have the week. That is appropriate for Pentecost celebrations because it is a harvest celebration. And uh, God chose that day for a very specific reason. And the specific reason is God intended not just for the people of Israel to be saved. He expected the whole world, all nations, to be able to experience the outpouring of God's Spirit, to experience the presence of Jesus, the presence of the Spirit in each one of our hearts and lives. And this was the beginning of a tremendous harvest. It started with the Jews from all over the world but Jesus' intention was that this harvest take place all over the world and not just with Jews only. And so, you know, this was an awesome day. But the greatest evidence that the Spirit was moving was not just what happened on that day. That's why you have the whole book of Acts. This just occupies Acts chapters 1 and into chapter 2, and then you have a whole book that talks about the acts of the apostles or the acts of the Holy Spirit. It is built around the whole concept. If you look at an outline of Luke, 
It is the outline of the spread of the gospel, the outline of a bigger and bigger field of harvest that Jesus intended to take place for the salvation of the whole world. So the first day of life in the Spirit, that's very important. But what is also important is life in the Spirit afterwards. And, you know, the great thing is that now the Holy Spirit was not limited to being poured out just on kings and priests and prophets as in the Old Covenant, but now all people, as Peter preached from Joel chapter 2, as God promised through Joel, all people could experience this. And since now this is not just for a few people in the community to, to experience, but everybody in the community to experience, guess what? Life in the Spirit now involved not just a few at the head of the community, but life in the Spirit involved the entire community. And how the community lived out the life of the Spirit is the evidence that, that actually Luke gives a whole lot more attention to. And I think it's pretty awesome. So in the very next verse, after, after Luke describes 3,000 people coming to the Lord, on the day of Pentecost, he immediately jumps into what the community shaped by the power of Pentecost looked like. And this is so vital. This is where, okay, we would like to repeat some Pentecostal experiences. And thankfully, those experiences... Many of them are available to us today. But we also want to make sure that we repeat, in some respect, the life of the Spirit that followed the day of Pentecost. And so this is extremely important. Acts 2, verse 42 through 47. And this is what the community shaped by the Holy Spirit looked like. And this gives us some pointers as to how to live life in the Spirit. And this life might be a more important evidence than any other activity that you experience in the beginning stages of your walk with God. Here's what they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So it lets us know the first thing. This is what they did. They devoted themselves to four things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And those are things to which we also should devote ourselves as a part of life in the Spirit. And not just a response to the Holy Spirit, but a way of continuing to walk in the Holy Spirit. As a way of continuing to give expression to the Holy Spirit, but also as a way of continuing to receive the empowerment and the blessing of the Holy Spirit. So the first thing is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Folks, we can experience the presence and power of God through the Word of God. We do not live by bread alone, but 
by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It is nourishing for our souls. We need the apostles' teaching. How do we get that? It's the Bible. What were they teaching? They were teaching what Jesus taught. We have that in the Gospels. They were teaching the Old Testament prophets pointing toward Jesus, the law of Moses point. They were using this Bible. They were writing it, and they were using it to teach people what it meant to live in the will of God, in the power of God. And so we have the apostles' teaching right here in the Word of God. And let's understand that this is a way to experience God. You know, if you want to hear the voice of God, get to know the voice of the, the Holy Spirit who inspired these scriptures. These are spirit words. And so they devoted themselves to the words of the Holy Spirit and continued to be fed and filled and nourished by the words of the Holy Spirit. If you need comfort from Jesus, guess what you need? You need the Word of God. I, I love the passage in Mark chapter 6, 34. It says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So what did he do as, re as a result of their being like sheep without a shepherd? So he began teaching them many things. So, you know, this is an act of compassion on the part of Jesus. This is an act of compassion on the part of the Holy Spirit. You know, and a lot of times we don't think of preaching or reading the Word of God or teaching the Word of God as an expression of compassion and love. But when we're in need of a word from God, we're in need of hope, we're in need of direction from God, God's word provides that, and that's the compassion of Jesus so that we won't wander like sheep without a shepherd. We'll be a part of the community under the shepherd, the good shepherd Jesus, who continues to nurture us and guide us by his Holy Spirit. So we need to devote ourselves to the, the apostles' teaching. They also devoted themselves to the fellowship. The newer edition of the NIV just says to fellowship, but the Greek actually has the article there, the, the, the definite article. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the community. They devoted themselves to relationship with each other. Together, because we are born of the Spirit, we are brought into the family of God. We're brought into the body of Christ. We are one family now by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our God is a relational God, eternally existent as God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's always been relational. He wants relationship among the Trinity, and the Trinity want relationship with you, and they foster our being in relationship with each other. It's an amazing continuation of this cycle of love that flows from God to us, from us to God, and from us toward one another. And so they devoted themselves to the fellowship. That's why at Victory Church, it's important that we gather and we hear teaching, that we make it a regular part of our lives, that we come on Sundays or we tune in online and we get the Word of God. But it's also important that we be a part of a community with each other. And that's one of the reasons we have such a strong emphasis on life groups. If you live nearby, be a part of a life group at Victory Church. If you're watching online, 
Get to be a part of our online community as best you can or get into a community right where you live. If you live in another part of the country, but get connected to the fellowship, it'll be something God uses to nurture you and to keep you filled with the Holy Spirit. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. And that can mean one of two things, or maybe it can mean both of two things. Number one, this probably means that they celebrated the Lord's Supper together. Early on, they, they recognized Jesus said, when you drink the cup and you eat the bread, that we remember that he gave his blood and his body for our salvation. It represents the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And when we proclaim Jesus' death, there's power in that. There's healing in that. That's why Paul says many who had not partaken of the Lord's Supper in the right way were weak and sick and had fallen asleep or died because they had not availed themselves properly of the power that comes from relationship and from the Lord's Supper, from the breaking of bread together. And that brings healing. It brings an experience of the Holy Spirit. I think it also means this. It means just being together around the table. You know, there's something about table fellowship with one another that speaks of our relationship, our connection to each other. When we eat at the same table with somebody, and this was especially true back in Jesus' day, this is why he got in so much trouble with the religious people, because when he ate with tax collectors and sinners, you know what Jesus was saying? We're all on the same level. Jesus came down. He was God in the flesh he occupied a position of glory before he came to the earth, and he returned to a position of glory when he ascended into heaven. But when he was here on the earth, he came down to our level, and he gave us an example of being together on the same level as brothers and sisters in Christ, members of the same family. And when we eat together, we give expression to that. Some of the best gatherings for teaching of the word and for fellowship happen around a meal. And I want to encourage you to do that. And can I just say this? You, you ever heard, you know, don't trust a skinny chef? You know? It's not exactly true, but it's kind of funny, you know, because you think a chef that really likes his food is going to be eating a lot of it. So uh, can, I, can I just say this with regard to Christians breaking bread together? Don't trust Christians who want to study the Bible that don't want to eat together. <laughs> You know, if, if you're not getting fried chicken with each other, go Chick-fil-A or something every once in a while, something's missing. So we want to we wanna have a meal together. They devoted themselves to that. Doesn't mean they just devoted themselves to eating too much. You know, I've done, I've done that myself. But they devoted themselves to meals together. And then the fourth thing it says they devoted themselves to, they were devoted to prayer. And next week... We're beginning a new series on prayer, Raise Your Expectations, because there has never been a major move of God that's not either preceded by, well, both preceded by and sustained by powerful, powerful, engaged prayer. Prayer that just, what they call travailing prayer. We need travailing prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer in the early church. Now, those are four very specific and vital activities. They're very important. 
But also very important is that you engage in those activities with the right attitude. You want to have a spirit-filled attitude. Now, in Philadelphia, it's easy to have attitude, you know? <laughs> we got attitude, attitude in Philadelphia. But we want to have Holy Spirit attitude. A spirit-filled church is a church with attitude. And Luke uses a few different words to describe the attitude of this early spirit-filled church. And if we're spirit-filled, part of the evidence is just not what we do I mean, a lot of just religious people just do, 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 do a lot of religious stuff, but you got to have the right attitude. In other words, you have to have the right heart. you got to have the right spirit, and that's part of the evidence of spirit-filled living. Acts 2, 42 and verse 43. Let's read those again. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. What are the two heart attitudes you see there in those two verses? Devotion and awe. Devotion and awe. And those attitudes are essential. Now, a lot of times we think freedom in the spirit means, you know, that we don't have, you know, commitment, and we don't have devotion, we don't have this drive, and we don't have this, this, really, this desire to do what a spirit-filled church or spirit-filled people should do. A lot of times in our, I guess, more contemporary concepts of being filled with the Spirit is just like, ooh, just float along on the winds of the Spirit. Well, no. It calls for devotion, and it calls for awe, which is a fear of the Lord. And those do not preclude the joy of the Holy Spirit because in the verses just, just shortly thereafter, it says in Acts 2, 46 and 47, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They had big church gatherings. They also broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. What kind of hearts? Glad and sincere. You can be sincere and glad at the same time. You can be sincere and glad. At the same time, you can be sincere and full of joy. Verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So we want to talk about especially devotion and awe. To devote yourself means to adhere to, to focus on, to hold on to. Are you holding on to those things that Luke says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. We focus on those things. When I was in second grade, I joined the Boy Scouts, and that was pretty cool because it meant that I got to wear a Boy Scout uniform, you know, with the patches sewn on and the neckerchief and that cool slide there with whatever animal was on that. And then, of course, the, uh, Bo the Cub Scout cap. And when our Scoutmaster you know, was teaching us about wearing the uniform. He said, when you're wearing your uniform, you always got to wear your cap. Don't take your cap off when you're wearing your uniform. And I, I still remember him saying that. I don't remember any of the rest of the talk. But it's like, okay, I, if I'm wearing my Boy Scout uniform, I got to wear the cap. So the next week or so, I'm wearing my Boy Scout uniform to school, and that's pretty cool. Man, I got my 
Cub Scout uniform on, second grade, and got my cap on. And Miss Price said, Eddie, you have to take off your cap in class. Miss Price was very nice, and she was very direct. But, and I was usually a very compliant child. But the voice to which I was complying was the voice of my scoutmaster who said, when you're wearing the uniform, don't take off your cap. So I refused to take off the cap when Miss Price told me to do so. And this was probably about 1966. This was in a time when, you know, you don't wear caps inside. Now it doesn't matter. But back then, that, that was kind of a big deal. And mm, no, Scoutmaster said, wear your cap. Got the uniform on, I'm leaving it on. I wasn't a rebellious kid, but I was not going to take off the cap for Miss Price. So she didn't argue with me. She just told my parents. So when I got home from the scout meeting that afternoon, my mom said, Eddie, Miss Price called and uh, said you wouldn't take off the cap. You have to take off your cap in class. I was like, no. No, Mr. Scoutmaster, I can't remember his name, he said, always wear my cap. I'm not taking it off. Dad came home, said, Eddie, when you go to class, you've got to take off your cap. No, Mr. Scoutmaster said, wear, I, I, it, it, do you know what it took? It took them calling Mr. Scoutmaster and Mr. Scoutmaster telling me, Eddie, it's okay to take off your cap in class. <laughs> then I could do it. In other words, I was devoted to that cap. Now, I'm not saying be legalistic. You know, you could probably make that connection to that story as well. But we, we need to hang on to this. We need to hear God saying, be devoted to these things. And we need to be focused and we need to hang on to them because I can tell you the culture and the world wants you to let go of your focus, to lose your grip, because the devil certainly doesn't want you to live a spirit-filled life. The other thing that, that's kind of a, a, a heart thing is that everyone was filled with awe. That's, that's the fear of the Lord. I think sometimes we misunderstand the fear of the Lord because we think that means being afraid of God's punishment. That's not what the fear of the Lord means in the Bible, whether Old Testament or New Testament. There were people who feared the Lord that way, but the fear of the Lord that the Bible says is the beginning of wisdom is this understanding that God is awesome. He's holy. He's tremendous. He is entirely other, and yet he wants a relationship with us that is awe-inspiring. The Holy Spirit, now, he was not only, you know, in a prophet, priest, or king. He was in them and in their community and in their experience of the word and prayer and the breaking of bread and all those things. And now, you know, they're just filled with awe. And I, I think it's it's it's... Too bad that the NIV changed the translation. The 1984 edition says that they were filled with awe and the apostles did miracles. And every modern translation pretty much puts it that way. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Now, the newer one says that everyone, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and miraculous signs that were done by the apostles. That's not what it says. No other translation says it that way. Why do I think that's important? Am I just harping on something that's insignificant? No. 
Because I believe that we can have a sense of awe in the presence of God regardless of seeing a miracle or a sign and wonder. I love the awe that comes with signs and wonders. I mean, just in the last couple of weeks, we've had a testimony of somebody who was healed of some pretty significant symptoms of Lyme disease and just healed that day. Hallelujah. And somebody else who was diagnosed with cancer and then they went back for some follow-up tests, they, the doctors realized they had misdiagnosed the first time. No, they had not misdiagnosed. There was a healing that had taken place. Someone in our church just in the last few weeks healed of cancer. I mean, that, 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 I, I'm in awe of that. But folks, when we have the presence of the Spirit in our lives, sometimes we have to endure before the miracle happens, and we can still live in the awe that comes with the presence of God. That's so important. And I, I hope that we can be the kind of church that just exudes the awe of the Lord that we just have awe at the presence of God in our midst. And you know, you don't have to have a whole lot except the presence of God for that. You know, when I was a brand new follower of Jesus, something told me that prayer was important. I remember that from my childhood and from my mom and my grandmothers and all my family. And so I thought, we, we need a prayer meeting. And so Using my, you know, significant leadership capacity that I had in college, you know, I was a fraternity president, and I, I decided to call this prayer meeting, and with my great leadership capacity, I managed to get three other people to join me, <laughs> because I didn't have great leadership capacity, but I got three people to join me. We went to this little room, it wasn't very big, but the campus that set it aside as an interfaith chapel, you know, it had some, you know, nondescript kind of stained glass window thing in there. And we just, I didn't know how to lead a prayer meeting. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say and didn't have a song to sing. I'm telling you, I knew absolutely nothing. I mean, the only, the only thing I knew about a prayer meeting was from my childhood and hearing my grandmother and her fellow intercessors, who their, prayer, their idea, idea of a prayer meeting was just to pray in tongues real loud for a long time, you know? And that wasn't part of my experience at that point, I don't think. And, and so I didn't know, I didn't have an idea what to do. So we just sat down and bowed our heads. I mean, nothing said, no prayer, n nothing like, oh God, we thank you that we could gather here. N we did not know. None of us knew what to do. We bowed our heads. As soon as we bowed our heads, a presence came into that room. But we could not talk. We could not move. We could, we could do nothing for about 15 or 20 minutes. It was so amazing. And just like, oh, just, I could just feel the waves of the Spirit coming. And, and the only response to that was just awe. It wasn't, you know, shouting or clapping or dancing or running around the room. Didn't know any of those Pentecostal responses that you're supposed to, you know, produce when you know the Spirit's moving, right? Didn't know any. It was just like, just sit there in silence and in awe. And after about 15 or 20 minutes or so, it could have been longer. It was at least that long. could have been longer. All of a sudden, just that, that feeling just lifted. That weight was, was gone. By the way, the word for glory in the Old Testament means weight. And that weight was gone. And 
it's the four of us, we looked up simultaneously because our eyes were down. We looked up. It's like our, our heads were on puppet strings. And, and, you know, the puppet master lifted our heads at once and we looked and we looked at each other and our eyes were big and the only spiritual words were uh, this young lady who just, you know what her spiritual response was? Wow. That's all it was. Folks, I want to be that kind of church. I want us to be that kind of people where we're just in awe of the presence of God. Hmm. I believe that's going to be an atmosphere for miracles. And then we'll be in more awe. But we're in awe already because of the presence of God. That's what Pentecost is about, the, the presence of God. God's spirit poured out. And we have God's presence in us. And when we live in devotion to the word of God, to the fellowship of God's people, the breaking of bread and prayer, I believe that these moments of awe are going to be even more likely in our lives. You know, we have a new life group semester starting up. Let's expect some moments of awe in those life groups as we do all the other things that the early church devoted themselves to. See, people of the Spirit are people of God's presence. And when we're, when we're people of God's presence, guess what? We'll also be people of God's power. Isn't that what Jesus said in Acts 1.8? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's his goal is harvest. Harvest. Our world needs the presence of God in you. Our world needs a people who are in awe of the presence of God, who are filled with the Spirit, people of the Word, people of fellowship, people in unity with each other, people who are committed to the breaking of bread with each other, the power represented in the Lord's Supper, not just as a ritual, but as an appropriation of the power of the death of Jesus, the presence of Jesus, and the power of prayer. Come back, tune in next week. We're going to talk about that some more. See, we're still living in the aftermath of that original Pentecost. It's God's plan to use that aftermath to change the whole world. And can I tell you this? If we'll live in this, it'll change our whole lives. If you've never received Christ, that's the beginning. God's Spirit is poured out on believers, followers of Jesus. Would you say yes to Jesus? If you're here in this room or you're watching online and you've never said yes to Jesus or you wandered from Jesus, it's what I had done, and now you know it's time to come back to Christ, this is your moment. Today is the day of your salvation. Today is the day of a new beginning. And it's super important. It's vital that you have this initial experience and then that you'll live out of that experience in the purposes of God for your life and for the world. He's got great plans for you. You won't be the same and the world won't be the same. So pray this prayer. Just repeat these words. Pray them from your heart because this is about heart attitude and your life will never be the same. You'll be saved and Christ will come into your heart and God's spirit will begin to fill you. So pray this prayer 
Say these words out loud. Everybody here in the room with me, everybody who's watching online, say this. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love. I believe Jesus died. He was raised from the dead, and he is Lord. Forgive me of all my sins. Be the Lord of my life. Fill me with your spirit and help me live for you. Thank you for receiving me as a part of your family. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, welcome to the family of God. It was the most important decision you've ever made. There are some important next steps. That's what this whole message was trying to convey, that the living out of the receiving of the Holy Spirit is the most vital evidence of God's work in your life. And so stay with us. Let us know what's going on. Somebody's going to come and share with you some next steps. Reach out to us through whatever media that you're watching through right now. If you're at all capable or or if that's at all possible, please let us know the decision you made. We're here to stand with you. God bless you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening to the Victory Church Podcast. If this message inspired you, feel free to share it with your friends, family, and social media. And make sure to subscribe to hear future messages from Victory Church. If you'd like to support the mission of Victory, please visit getvictory.net slash give. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day.